Turn, if you will, please, to John chapter 5. Did I ever mention that John is my favorite book in the Bible? I have. Good to know. I'll probably tell you again, so thanks. I'm very happy to be preaching through John. We're in chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 31 through 47. And just before this, you remember, Jesus has healed a lame man in Jerusalem. He did it on the Sabbath, and this caused the Jews to persecute him. <clears throat> Last week, we saw that his defense was to say that they weren't observing the Sabbath the way God the Father did, and that he knew this because he was always doing exactly what God the Father wanted, being God the Son himself. And so he doesn't shy away from that, but it's central to his response to their persecution. They begin persecuting him because of what he's doing on the Sabbath, and he says, I'm God. I know the Sabbath better than you. Then we come to our passage. But just before we get to our passage, he says that he will raise everybody up to judgment. Either eternal life or hell are the possibilities. Either the judgment of life or judgment of condemnation, one or the other. Those are the only options. And so as Jesus continues into our passage, he actually gives the reason that he's talking to them. He says why he says the things that he's been saying to them. He says, I say these things so that you may be saved. Remember, we've we've seen over and over again that belief is central to this book of John. From beginning to end, we're going to keep hitting this theme. Again, we're going to see the idea of believing and what that looks like and what that means play a central role in our passage this morning. He's saying these things so that they may be saved, just like John wrote the book so that we may believe and that believing we may have life in his name. So Jesus speaks and he says, I'm saying this so that you may be saved. So what kinds of things do you say to somebody who is a hypocritical religious type? That's who Jesus is speaking to. What what kinds of things do you say to somebody who's a hypocritical religious type in order to see them saved? Well, let's read it and find out. John 5, 31 through 47. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, 
and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. So who is Jesus talking to here? Well, he's talking to the Jews. It seems clear that he's focusing on their leaders from some of the things that he says. But the rest of the Jews are certainly in view since they are following their leaders. right? So, so the words of Jesus are, in this context, directed to the Jews, the people who were followers of God. And this is the majority of the time who Jesus is speaking to. When we saw the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, not a Jew, that, that sort of interaction is the minority of Jesus' ministry. Most of his ministry is directly to Jewish people. And that's the same here. He's clearly talking to the Jews. They have this idea that they keep God's law and that Jesus doesn't. That's the whole Sabbath thing, right? They're persecuting him for quote-unquote, breaking the Sabbath. Because they keep the Sabbath and Jesus doesn't. They keep God's law, but Jesus doesn't. That's their, that's their attitude. That's their understanding. Those are the people that Jesus is speaking to. That's the context. People who think that they obey and that God the Son doesn't obey. And the reason they think that is because he doesn't follow their rules for the Sabbath. Not God's rules, not God's law, but their rules. So Jesus responds to them 
so that they could be saved. What does it require for them to be saved? Well, it requires that they begin to believe him. So he continues to drive home the point that he's telling the truth and to establish the truth of what he's saying. But what else does it require for them to be saved? Well, it also requires them to put their hope in him. But most of all, what he spends his time focusing on is that what they've got to do if they want to be saved is they have to begin to worship God rather than their idols. Because if they begin to worship God rather than their idols, then they will put their hope in Jesus Christ and they will be saved. But anyone who thinks that they're putting their hope, who, anyone who claims to be worshiping God, but who doesn't leave behind their idols, ends up falling under Jesus' condemnation in this post. So that, we've got to get through our minds, all right? Because we're often tempted to, to say things like, well, they're worshiping the same God as us. They're just confused about who Jesus is. Now, you've heard this kind of thing said. Maybe you think, well, I'm not tempted to say that. But believe me, if you haven't been tempted to say it, you will be tempted to say it. Because everybody wants to hear that. You'll be tempted just to agree with somebody. Well, we all worship the same God. And you'll just give your, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You just nod and let them keep going, right? Right then, that's, that's the hardest time to interrupt and to say, no, no, we don't. We don't all worship the same God. No, that's not who Jesus is. I mean, how do you, how do you break through to somebody who's convinced that They're a religious type. They're somebody who knows who God is. Whether they claim to be Christian, or whether they claim to be Muslim, or whether they claim to be Jewish, or or something else, or all of the above. I've had somebody who claims to be all of the above and more. (laughs) Okay? When they're religious types, what they're saying is that they believe in God, that they worship God, And therefore, what? That that there's nothing for them to worry about. They understand it all. That's the way, that's who Jesus is talking to. That's the way the Jews were. And so if you want to know how to handle people like that, and they are all over the place, okay? Anybody who is a cultural Christian falls into this category a hypocritical religious type. Now, you may, be, you may be used to having that accusation leveled at you, at the church itself. Hypocritical religious types. That's, that's what the church is filled with. 
But in point of fact, hypocritical religious types typically are outside the church. Hypocritical religious types are those who claim to be followers of God and yet who do not follow him. Sure, there are hypocritical religious types in the church as well. But if we can't get it through our minds what these people are that we're interacting with, okay, then we're not going to have any idea how to deal with them. And, and most particularly, how to love them. How to speak to them so that they may be saved. And that's what we're, gonna, you know, we're about to look at. What does Jesus do with these people? How does he speak to them in order that they may be saved? And that's why I want you to understand who he's talking to. And I want you to understand who you're interacting with on a daily basis. Anyone who doesn't believe the things that Jesus says about himself in this passage, and then just before it, we didn't read this week, but we saw last week, okay? Anyone who doesn't, doesn't believe these things about Jesus, Jesus makes clear that that means they do not know God, that they are not saved. That's why he's speaking to them and saying these things, so that they may be saved. Because they need to be saved. So the first thing we've got to realize is that the people that we're interacting with who think that they know God, many of them, need to be saved. How are you going to break through, though, that wall that's been built up by people who are so convinced that they know God. Well, the first thing that Jesus does is he demands that they believe the words he says about himself that he is God. He describes that as coming to him so that you may have life in verse 40. But he says it in the context of them being unwilling to come to him. So he says, you are unwilling to come to me so that you may be saved. Jesus is not content here in this passage to simply say, I'm telling the truth, take it or leave it. You get that? Now there is a time when you... When you stop talking to somebody, you you say, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to throw my pearls before swine. But Jesus doesn't just give these declarations from on high and then just leave it. Eh, take it or leave it. I'm telling the truth. 
you don't believe it, you're lost. Why not? Well, because he loves them too much for that. He's saying these things so that they may be saved. Why does he care? Well, because he loves them. And so that informs the the effort that he puts into this, if you will. We've got to be willing to put effort into our conversations with people. We've got to be willing to say things that they need to hear. And not just say them and drop them like bombs, you know, like, well, here. Here's a truth bomb for you, and here's a truth bomb for you. It's so easy to do that compared to what Jesus does here. Now, you'll get accused of just going and dropping truth bombs if you do what Jesus does here, okay? I want you to know that. Because what he does is not particular, does not end up sounding particularly kind by our standards today. Why? Well, because what he does, what he, what he, where he pushes is he, he, his love for them leads him to tear down the idols in their lives. That's what he ends up doing. He does his dead level best to destroy their belief in some other savior. And remember, if they don't believe what Jesus claims about himself, that means they believe in some other Savior. Think about the Jews. We'll step forward to our day in a little bit, but the Jews have this promised one that's to come, right? Jesus is the the answer, or is the fulfillment of that promise, He is the promised one. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And he comes and he says, I am the Christ, I'm the promised one, I'm the Son of God. And what do they do? They reject him. Why? Because they've got this this other idea, this other Savior in mind. But there is no other Savior. It's either Jesus or no Savior. Because he is the promised one. Which means they don't have a savior. They are not saved. So we return again to that, you know, I say these things so that you may be saved. They're putting their hope in another to come, though. Well, Jesus can't be the one that we're putting our hope in. Well, that means they're not putting their hope in him. That means they haven't come to him. That means they don't have life in his name. You cannot believe in some theoretical Messiah that you've made in your own image or in your own desire for what a Messiah is going to look like to you. So you come forward to today and you think about what... uh, let's, Let's talk about in the prison for a second. What does a Messiah look like to somebody who's in prison if they make the Messiah in their own image out of what they desire? A Messiah looks like somebody who's going to let them out of jail, right? 
But what does the Messiah look like to us? If it looks like anything besides Jesus, we've got our hope in something else, in someone else. And so you look around you and, <clears throat> and you think, okay, what are the idols of our day? What are, the, what are the gods that we worship? Well, entertainment, right? We worship our, our movie stars and we worship our, our sports heroes. And why do we worship them? What has what's the what is the draw to the to the tabloids talking about the the superstars? What's the draw there? Why why do we want why do we like those? Now you say, oh, I never really look at those. You can't help but look at those. What's what does it give you? An awful lot of what it gives you is the, uh, the uh, the fiction that that you're in relationship with them, right? That that you know them intimately by revealing these intimate things about them. Oh, she's on a diet and she lost forty pounds. You know, oh, she's going shopping. She's, she went shopping yesterday. Oh, he's going to be in a new movie. You see, these are the, the, you know, the details that you, that, it's this weird thing where we don't know them and yet we know them. So what is that, why is that interesting to, why, why do we like that? Why does, why does that appeal to us? Well, because there are idols and we want them to be relatable to us. Not like the God on the mountain who's thundering and lightning and whose voice is the voice of trumpets. Even when he speaks in a still, small voice, it's like, Oh. Can I just have somebody to worship that's like me? And like me in having the same problems. Oh, he's having trouble in his marriage. Isn't that a shame? Like me. He's like me. Some other savior. What is it about our entertainment? What? We want them to be like us. We want them to be relatable to us. And the other thing is that we want some of their glory to reflect back on us. Right?
My uncle made the comment one time that the applause at a classical music concert is applause for yourself, for having such good taste. Okay? Now, it's funny because it's true. Oh, aren't we so cultured? Yes. I applaud my sense of taste. I don't have the foggiest clue what this music is about. But <laughs> here I am. But is it any different with Star Wars? No, it's exactly the same. <laughs> you love Star Wars, huh? Yeah. No, it's exactly the same. What is the applause? I mean, what is the... What's so, what's so delightful about it to us? We like what it says about ourselves. That's what we like about Star Wars. What do we like about, uh, what do we like about the Warriors? They're a great basketball team, right? What do we like about them? What we like about them is that they show us what we can accomplish. We, what we can accomplish, right? And so we live vicariously through them, and we say, well, I'm a fan. I, I relate myself to them. I attach myself to them, and when they do well, then I feel good about myself. Why do you feel good about yourself when the Bengals win? This is absurd. What have you done? You have done nothing. And yet that's what all of our gods are. We, we identify ourselves with them. And we think that they reflect back onto us some of their what? Their glory that we have given to them. So what do you worship? What are the idols that the people around you worship? Religious types have these idols that they worship. And Jesus loves them too much to just let them keep those idols. He loves them too much to just say, I'm the Savior, take it or leave it. He says, I'm the Savior, and your idols are going to die. So how does he do it? They're putting their hope in something else. They're putting their hope in some other Messiah, somebody else to come. And Jesus destroys their idol by proving that he's the only Messiah. First by saying, I don't testify about myself or it wouldn't be true. Now this is, everything that Jesus says here is a, is a double-edged sword. It cuts every time you move it. 
when he says, I don't testify about myself, what he points to is that there, are, that there is testimony outside of himself. And then when he says, if I testified about myself, it wouldn't be true, what he does is he destroys all these idols that testify about themselves only. I'm great. And so Jesus begins to enter into how would, you, how would you know whether the testimony was true or not? How would you know whether somebody was truly great or not? How would you know whether somebody was the Messiah or not? Is it simply by them declaring themselves to be the Messiah? No. If it was simply them declaring themselves to be the Messiah, it would be not true according to Jesus. So he goes into what the testimony about him is. He says, John testifies about me. And you all loved John for a little while. You were rejoicing in him, he says, for a time. Until what? Until they were going to have to give up their idols to worship the true Messiah. Now, it's worth noting here that their idols are largely theoretical. It's not like you have to have um, an actual physical person in front of you to be worshiping, to, to be worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Right? Some of us couldn't care less about the actors and the actresses that are in the movies, but we love the characters that they represent. What are those characters? Theoretical. They're fictional, right? And yet, we attach ourselves to them, not to the actor or the actress. We look down on the people who worship the actors and the actresses. Oh, so silly. We're worshiping an actual physical object, physical being. Don't you know? It's just as silly to worship a theoretical Savior like the Jews do when they have the literal Savior in front of them. And so they all loved John when when he was affirming what they all already knew correctly about God and about his law. Because John was calling people to believe in God. He was calling them to take his laws seriously. And these are, the Jews were people who took his laws seriously. He goes, take, their law, take the laws seriously. Repent of your sin. Repent of taking, you know. And, and they're all going, yeah, 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 yeah. Until he said, here is who you need to worship. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. (laughs) We were building towards something else, John. We were building to something majestic, not this guy from Nazareth. We were building towards this great coming of, of, of this earthly kingdom 
Now this is where I want to warn you guys about something like uh, Lord of the Rings. A lot of Christians love to look at Lord of the Rings or um, any number of other uh, great stories, truly great stories, like The Hobbit. And, and, you know, and Star Wars is a great story, so, so throw Star Wars in there. And Christians like to look at these stories, and we like to say, you know, the, one of the things that's good about these stories is that they expand. They expand our, our thoughts, our imaginations. They, they tap into and, and show us that, that proper desire in our heart for something greater. Have you heard this kind of stuff? They, they, they show us, you know, you, you, get to, you, get, you get drawn into that story, and when the, when the king returns, how can you help but not just delight in the fact that there is something, there, this, this world is not the way it's supposed to be, but, but, it, but, there's, but it can be made right. Now right there, you're left with the choice that the Jews are left with. Okay? You're, you're going along with Tolkien or whoever, you know, and, and you're like, yeah, 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 until somebody says, so put your hope in Jesus. You're like, oh, but don't you know, come on, that leaves me here in this world where everything's miserable. Don't you realize, now that leaves me stuck under the Romans, and that's just not fun. I was like, I was really digging this like grander, greater thing. Well, right there, you're, you're rejecting the Messiah, and you're putting your hope in some theoretical promise of, of a life here on earth that's better. If you could just, you know, if, if you could just, you know, like do magic. Or, or if you could just, you know, if you, could, if you were just allowed to fight. If you were just allowed to join an army. Or if you were just allowed to, you know, whatever it is. You got the, or, or if you were just allowed to, you know, escape into yourself. You think deep thoughts there in your heart and, and, and dwell in your own fantasy land. But that's what the Jews do. They, they enter into their own fantasy land about what the Messiah is going to look like. And, and they're, they're with John about the, this is important. This is a big deal. This is about the future. This is about your life. This is about obedience to God. Now, here he is. And, and they're all like, eh, eh, I don't know. I, he's not that, like, he just doesn't quite match up with what I had wanted. I had, I had been looking for somebody to let me out of jail. I had been, I had been looking for somebody who would give me a, a job. I had been looking for somebody who would let me have a million dollars so that I could spend it on building the kingdom of God. What have you been looking for? What are the religious types around you looking for in a Messiah? 
If they're not looking for what Jesus is, they're not worshiping the Messiah. And so this is why Jesus says that his works testify about him. Not just John, but what he actually does. He raises the lame up onto their feet. Walk. But it's not just the miracles you understand. It's the fact that everything he does, what, are Je- what is Jesus' work? To do the will of the Father, right? That's what we saw in our last sermon. So his work is to do the will of the Father, and so his work testifies about him. Why does his work testify about him? Is it because it's miraculous? Well, yes, in, in, in part. But the real reason that his work testifies about him is because he's always doing exactly what God the Father wants him to do. That's why his works testifies about him. Because the Father gave those works to me to do, and only somebody from God could do them. And then finally he says, but ultimately, it's the Father who testifies about me. And you don't actually believe God's word because you don't believe the one he sent, me. Now, if you've been paying attention here, you go back to the beginning, he says, if I testified about myself, it wouldn't be true. You might be thinking, wait a minute, this is sounding kind of circular. You can't say, on the one hand, that it wouldn't be true if I testified about myself, and then on the other hand, say, you don't believe me, therefore you don't believe the Father. Doesn't that make him testifying about himself? No. It doesn't make him testify about himself. Scripture testifies about him. Jesus has, God the Father has given the testimony prior to this. They've set their hope in Moses. So Moses will be the one who condemns them, since Moses wrote pointing to Jesus. And they're refusing to believe Moses. Jesus comes in God's name, glorifying the Father. And they reject Jesus, and therefore they reject the one that he is proclaiming, the Father. This is why it's not circular. Because all he's doing, every one of his works, is perfectly obedient to the Father, brings perfect glory to the Father. And so it's not about him. When he speaks, it's about the Father. When he acts, it's about the Father. 
And because they reject it, therefore they are rejecting the Father. Not Jesus. And they're rejecting Jesus, too. But that's why it's, his, that's why it's, a, it's this perfect proof that they don't have God the Father. They don't have God the Father because everything Jesus does is about building up God the Father, and they're like, nah, we don't want to have anything to do with that. And so when you have people who are like, nah, I don't really want to have anything to do with that, when you're talking to them about Jesus, or you're talking about them about church, or whatever you're talking to them about, you're talking about real spiritual things, and you ought to be having these conversations with people, okay? You're having these conversations... And I, nah, I don't really want to have it. Oh, so you don't believe in God. Why do you say that? I didn't say I believe in I believe in God. Uh, this is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, no. No, you don't believe in God. If you believed in God, then you would believe in me. If you believed in God, then you would want his glory. You don't have any love for the Father, he says. And so he explains their problem in verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. That's what I just got done explaining, right? Everything he did was about the Father, in the Father's name, and they don't want to have anything to do with him. And then he says, if somebody else, second half of verse, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Those are our idols, people. Those are the, those are the people we worship. They come in their own name. I am... Fill in the blank, you know. Who are your idols? They come in their own name rather than in the name of the Father. And the per- so that person who raises himself up, testifies about himself, and receives the glory for himself, they will love. Why? Because that person will know, unlike Jesus, that person will know that they have something important to offer him, and he'll play their game. He will give them glory, and therefore they will give him glory. That's, what, that's, why it's, that's why we think it reflects on us when, you know, when the Bengals win. We, we get to bask in some of that reflected glory that we all pile up there. This is why when, when comedians or concerts come to town, they're like, 
It's great to be in Cincinnati! Right? Because they're giving you glory. That's it. They know how the game works. If they're like, well, I don't really like Cincinnati. You want to listen to some music? You're like, boo! Don't come here and tell us you don't like our city. We're awesome. We're the best in the world. And so every city they go to, you guys are the best in the world. And we believe them every time. Oh, it's so wonderful. We receive glory. We'll give him glory. Let's all clap. That's the game. And that's the game that Jesus won't play. The Jewish leaders are like, Hey, you know, we got something to offer here. We got a good thing going on. We got some power. We know how that we know the ins and the outs of the Roman system. We can work it. Now, you play along. You give us honor. We we've been we've been really digging the honor we've been getting from the people, the Jewish people for the last, you know, several hundred years. It's it's pretty sweet. Been kind of disappointed that we got to put up with the Romans. So listen, you help us out, you take out the Romans, you give us some credit, we'll work together on this. Booyah. And Jesus is like, no. No, we're not doing that. I'm not playing that game, and I'm not trying to set up your kingdom. I have come declaring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. They raise themselves up. But he doesn't raise himself up. He doesn't come seeking his own glory. He comes seeking the glory of the Father. So he's not playing their game. And this is proof that they're seeking their own glory. And not not seeking glory from God. It's good to seek glory from God. But how are you going to get glory from God? By obeying Him. By worshiping Him and not worshiping your idols. And so Jesus is going to receive all glory from the Father. But He's not here on earth seeking His own glory. He's here on earth... Seeking the glory of God, the same way that we would seek the glory of God and it would rebound to us. And so they can't believe. This is what Jesus says, verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You can't. You cannot believe when what you're doing is receiving glory from one another. Isn't this why when we're in those conversations with people, they're like, oh, well, you know, we all are, we're all working our best, doing the same, working, working our way towards, we all, we all know there's a God out there, and we're all, we're all just doing the best we can to, to get along in this life, and... He'll, he'll, he'll honor that. Isn't that why you're tempted to go, to nod your head and go, uh-huh, 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 and 
let's like even if you're cringing with what they're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, we're going let's get this conversation over with. Why do you want to just do that? Because they're giving you they're giving you kudos right there. They're giving you glory right there. That's why you want to do that. Because they're 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 ascribing to you the glory that is not due your name, but the glory that they ascribe to the idol of whatever it is, going along to get along, or what have you. Do you understand? That's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're trying to get you to agree that that's a worthwhile goal. And it's not hard for us to, it's not hard for us to see that. We feel it. It makes us cringe when they say stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, not really. <clears throat> but I don't want to cause a ruckus. And Jesus is just throwing feathers in the air. He's making a ruckus over it, isn't he? And why? Well, he's saying these things so that they may believe and be saved. And so it's right there where they're declaring what their idol is that you've got to be willing to say, no, that's an idol. You don't know God. You don't love the Father. And you're coming, he's, when, when he sends his son, the true Messiah, he's going to judge. Ugh. Those are the things where it's like, well, now you're going to get accused of tossing a truth bomb in the midst. Don't fall down at their idol's feet. I don't care what you're going to get accused of. Don't fall down at their idol's feet. Throw down that idol. What's Baal going to do to you? Remember Gideon, Jerob, Baal? Cuts down the Asherah pole, does away with the Baal, and the people are like, kill him, kill him! And his dad says, no, 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 we can't. Let, let Baal deal with him. What's, what's this false god going to do to you? Why are you so scared? He can't do anything to you. Now, one last application before I end here. The celebrities that we worship are not limited to the, to the idols of the culture and to the idols of theoretical people in our minds or beings that we think would be awesome. Okay? It also makes its way into the church in the worshiping of pastors, speakers, authors. 
I saw a post on Facebook by somebody who was saying that R.C. Sproul had come into a Bible study that he was in, and he was just like, he was just like jello on the floor. It was just so amazing to him to be in the same room as the greatness of the man. Oh, I love R.C. Sproul. But what's the problem here? The problem is worshiping him as though being in the same room with R.C. Sproul redounds some of his glory that you've adulated him with back onto yourself, the same way with the Bengals. It's a joke. What does R.C. Sproul walking into the same room as you do? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. What kind of glory does it give you? None. Whatever glory he has is from God and has nothing to do with you. You don't get some of it. It doesn't rub off on you. So quit worshiping him. Now it's not even limited to it's not even limited to these big name people that everyone's heard of, though. Nothing is preventing us from worshiping in within this small of a group, deciding, oh, oh that's the person that I'm going to worship. Nobody else in the world knows him. And that's part of why I worship them, because it's exclusive. Give me a break. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? If you're looking for some kind of glory to rub off from Paul or me or our wives or whatnot, or some little other clique that you're a part of, that that there are people who kind of worship you. Listen. Cut it out. Seek that the glory of God would be established. Seek the glory that he gives to you when you obey him. Why are we so tempted by this? Well, it always comes back to the fact that we're seeking our own glory. Just like the Jews, we want to have this thing established where we're going to be, we're going to be made the hero. And we're content, to be, we're, we're content to be the hobbit hero. The one that we can, you know, not the king, but we want to be, we just want to receive some of that some of that back and forth glory with our idea of something that makes us look good. A kingdom that finally, a Jewish kingdom that finally manages to overthrow the Romans. Ooh, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, it may be, but you're not looking for the kingdom of God. 
We're not looking for his glory. Let's do away with these idols. Amen?